the water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end, sow it, you will reap it, we talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it, take a deep breath, you are now rocking with founders. All right, Flavio, you want to kick us off? Hey, Kat. Hey, guys. Uh, we have Kat today with a K. Kat is a famous podcaster. Yeah. I don't know about that, guys. So check out the No Bullshit Manifestation Show. Is that right? That is right. The um, No Bullshit Manifestation Show. We'll put it in the show notes. And I'm sure it's on Spotify, Google, Podtunes, whatever. All the good places. Podtunes, <laughs> that's a new one. All the good places <laughs> to listen to sure. podcasts. Stitcher. It is. There we go. All right, she's also entrepreneuress, coach, an innovator, a teacher, a friend, and most importantly... An AF abundant person. And a really good cookie maker. <laughs> Amazing cookie maker. She brought I hope my mom's not listening. I mean, these might be the best cookies you've ever had. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> I haven't even had them yet. <laughs> no, I assume it's the same ones that we had before. <laughs> anyway, first question I have for Kat is, well, what's the first business you started? I know we're going to talk about your latest business, but what's the first? Okay, so if we're getting like real technical, my first business was like, when I was eight years old, I used to make pens with f fake flowers on the end of them. <laughs> and I would sell them at the local consignment store because I wanted to save up to buy a townie, like the bike. Mm. And I sold enough flower pens that summer to buy a $450 bike. And I think that's where the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in. Whoa, how much was one of these? Yeah, how much are the pens? I sold them for $3. And you made them yourself? Yeah. You, you would pick we, the flowers? No. So, you know, like the fake flowers you can buy at like Walmart? Oh, yeah. It was the fake flowers from Walmart and then like green tape and just, you know, basic pens. And I would tape them together and have the fake flower on the end of it. And I think more so than anything, the people at the consignment store were like, oh, like so this cute. cute little girl <laughs> is doing this thing to make money. Let's support her. But technically, that's the first business. But after that... I would say first successful business that I had was my life coaching business, which I have been running since January of 2020. And that's specifically been helping women learn about manifestation and the law of attraction and how to intentionally implement it into their lives to live more intentional and fulfilling lives. What is manifestation? So manifestation very simply is using your thoughts and your subconscious mind to create your reality. So whether people are aware of it or not, they're manifesting their realities all the time. But intentional manifestation is becoming aware of like, why do you think in the way that you do? Why do you behave in the way that you do? Why do you feel the way that you do on a daily basis? And if there's something inside of that isn't really supporting you or helping you reach your goals, then assessing like where that stems from in the first place so that you can essentially retrain your brain, release old energy, whatever it is that you need to do to help create more supportive beliefs and behaviors that are going to get you towards whatever it is that you want to create in your life. That's cool. Also, before this business, though, there was a restaurant business here. Yes. Is that true? So it what was never you start my business. Oh. It was prior to starting the life coaching business, I worked in the food and beverage industry for nine years. And that honestly was just a byproduct of dropping out of university and thinking that I didn't really have an option other than to work in the food and beverage industry because everybody told me I couldn't really do anything without a degree. 
So I started serving in bartending and uh, that quickly led to me working my way up in all of the restaurants that I did work in and making friends with a gal who was opening a cafe from the ground up. Literally, it was like walking into an empty room with just insulation in the walls, not even like drywall or anything there. And we built it from the ground up in less than a year and got it up and running right before the pandemic started, which was probably one of the biggest challenges that I've ever done when it comes to business because it was unlike anything that I had ever done before, but I feel as though such a great starting point for learning how to work through different challenges that were gonna come up in my business after that point. How, how did, what got you into manifestation? Like how, did that come from the restaurant world? Very like long story, as short as humanly possible. Growing up, I had a lot of challenging circumstances that I was given with like my home life, my parents' relationship. I was overweight as a kid and just like never truly felt safe or comfortable inside of my skin. And as I grew up and didn't really want to work through those things, I just started to push all of those things away with like alcohol, drugs, partying, anything that could numb out those different circumstances. And all of that led me to the place where I just felt so low and at such a rock bottom position. And in that rock bottom position, I tried traditional therapy and I tried doing all of these different things to try and essentially make myself feel better. And none of them were working. And very synchronistically, it feels like manifestation showed up in my life at the right time. And I just started to pay attention to the different principles and practices of it and started to implement it into my life because it kind of felt like I didn't really have any other options. And it changed my life so drastically so quickly that I was like, okay, there's something to this and really just decided to give myself that challenge of fully committing to it. At that time, I said one year because I had nothing to lose of, okay, like either this works or it doesn't, but regardless, I'm kind of in rock bottom position. And I mean, my life changed so much. It was, I was in the position, so June of 2019, I was working 60 plus hours a week, building that cafe that I was talking about, $70,000 in debt, working paycheck to paycheck, just hated myself if I'm being completely honest. And then when I found intentional manifestation within a year, I was working my way out of that debt. I was just about to hit my first six figures in business and I was no longer in the job that I hated and I was building this business that I really loved for myself. I don't remember what your initial question was, but. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. The Can anyone do this manifestation? Is it, and I'd also, let's just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can anybody, anyone do it? Absolutely. Everybody's doing it whether they're aware of it or not. So it's like going back to what I was saying, like definition of manifestation is like using your thoughts and your subconscious mind to create your reality. So it's all of us being here together, like this is a manifestation of somebody's idea at some point. And it's everything that we all have going on in our lives is a manifestation of something. So the way that it really starts to change is when somebody becomes intentional with it and is okay, instead of just thinking that life is throwing its punches at me or I don't have a say or things are just going wrong all the time, whatever it may be, 
they start to intentionally be like, you know what? No, like I want things to go my way. And I want to believe in the fact that I'm capable of creating the things that I want. And I want to become clear on what those things are so that I can be moved closer to it in whatever way. One, one other thing on this is that listeners would not know this, but you do an amazing job of like direct response, you know, like your landing pages, the, your kind of funnels and you have very long landing pages that convert quite well. Where did you learn how to do that? And can you kind of speak to that? Yeah. So I would say the way that I learned how to do that is to different ways. One was kind of looking at what other people in the market were doing, meaning like my market in terms of manifestation coaching and seeing like what they were doing that resonated with me and then what they were doing that I was like, this is stupid and nobody should do it. Sorry to anybody who listens Mm -hmm. to this that maybe is a manifestation coach. And seeing, okay, who are the most successful people in this industry and in what way can I take the framework of what they have and not take exactly what they're doing or exactly what they have on their page, but take that framework and make it my own. And so looking at it from that perspective, and then I think the other part of this is because I had been in that position of looking for a coach and like looking for somebody who could help me with manifestation, I knew from my own perspective is if I was looking for a coach, what would I be looking for? And so I started to um, put those kinds of things on the page and like what I also had been taking my clients through and taking them through the actual steps that we're gonna walk through and being able to very like concisely and deliberately share that on a page so that when somebody comes to it, they don't have to have this massive sales call with me to be convinced into working with me or buying my program, it's more so, oh, I feel and I understand what this girl's about, and therefore I can trust. Huh. Okay, so you have a question about money. What do you think, in your experience, I guess, entrepreneurs' relationship with money is? And we can go around on this, you don't have to feel all the pressure, but I'm just wondering to what extent are we starting companies for money or how you view that? Such a good question. Honestly, I feel as though it it really depends on the entrepreneur. I think that you have to be, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Of course. Most entrepreneurs are fucking psychotic. The fact that we choose to be entrepreneurs is like delusional and deranged because it's insane and it's hard and there's no guidebook for it and it's not safe. So many other industries are. So I think that A lot of entrepreneurs go into it knowing like, yeah, there's money to be made, but more so than anything, there's just a lot of passion and belief behind what they're doing. And that's why they choose to pursue it. Yeah, and also to back up, I'm wondering to what extent our relationship with money early on has impacted that. Like I always felt like, I always was instilled like this poor mentality. I actually didn't grow up super poor compared to other people in my little town in Romania. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in that echelon, I was like on the higher tier. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I grew up poor, but I grew up with a poor mentality, like in that like you never, you know, settle, you always need more, you need to provide for yourself and then your family, then the next generation. There's always like some greater tier and that was just like beaten into me. I wonder what it is for you guys, for both of you. 
I guess I, I grew up similar to you. You know, I didn't grow up poor. My mom worked really hard and my dad did too. But yeah, I grew up wanting money. I grew up wanting, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, I said I would be a I said I would own a house by 25 and I'd be a millionaire by 30. Neither of those do happen by those age. But that was, the, the, and I would tell everybody that nobody asked, but I told them. And it's, you know what I'm going to do by 25. And I think that came from, I loved computers and I loved Bill Gates. And I was like, oh, Bill Gates is a billionaire. That's cool. What's a billionaire? And that was very interesting to me. And I think that's part of what got me into tech and computers. And I got really interested in computers because it felt like a way to make money. But it was also really interesting yeah. You also didn't go to college. I did not go to college. Yeah. Yeah. I failed my freshman year of high school. Like, I hated school. Slay. Much like you. Yeah. So, I hated school. I hated school. <laughs> I was not interested. Still do. What, do you, what about for you, Kat? I grew up in a family that we definitely, we were middle to lower in our town in terms of, like, income level. And there were definitely times my dad lost his job when I was in middle school and he was unemployed for three or four years. And my family completely blew through all of the savings, like everything that we had during that period of time. And I think that the experience that I had with that almost created like this perception of the fact that we were always, quote unquote, poor growing up. When in reality, it was like, I think we did fairly decent. I think we did okay. And by we, I mean my parents until he lost his job. And then it was kind of like this crisis moment because we had a hard time adjusting our lifestyles after that happened. But I think that my relationship to money growing up 1000% influenced my journey as an entrepreneur because prior to becoming an entrepreneur, like even when I was in the food and beverage industry, I always felt as though it was like, if I could make enough money, then I would feel safe. It was like, I was working as hard as I possibly could to try try and make as much money as I possibly could because I subconsciously deemed that as safety. And so when I then got into the coaching industry and I made six figures within my first 10 months of starting the business, I like had in my mind because growing up six figures sounded like, okay, like you've made it, you've made six figures, like you're smooth sailing, everything from that point is going to be good. And I hit my first six figures and nothing changed. And I still had all of the issues that I thought were going to be resolved once I hit that six figures. And I was just like, oh my God, like I feel exponentially worse than I did prior to this. And I feel like that's where a lot of more so like healing work came into place for me and changing my relationship to money and changing my relationship to what I attach safety to came into play where now I feel like making money has become easier and there's not as much pressure on it. And it's also, I feel like opened up so much space and like creativity in the realm of entrepreneurship to be able to be like, okay, I'm not solely in this for money. I'm not just hustling and working all the time to create that sense of safety. And there's more, yeah, space for me to take risks. I keep on doing the quotations because it's like, everything in life is a risk. And I don't know my own definition of all of these different things, but yeah, 1000%. I think whether people want to admit it or not, their relationship with money influences almost every single aspect of their life.
Yeah, yeah. So then why move to New York of all places? <laughs> the most expensive city. <laughs> yeah, after Zurich or something. Absolutely. But why, uh, I mean, in Colorado, you could be retired right now. What, Dude, I know. It's hilarious. People are always like, oh, given, given what you've done and like how much money you make and all of the things, you realize your quality of life could be so much higher somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, I do realize that. So moving to New York honestly was a childhood dream that I kind of wrote off for a while because as I grew up and everybody was like, this is what's realistic and what's not. And all of the conditioning that we're given, I was just like, okay, yeah, maybe moving to New York isn't in the cards for me. But at the age of 25, it was like, it was during 2020, which I know is like pandemic and I probably shouldn't have wanted to move to New York. Everybody was moving out of New York. Yeah, but I was like, like the idea of New York came back and I moved out here in 2021. And I don't know, it's the energy in this city. I think it's the thing that I love about New York so much is the fact that you never know like who you're gonna run into or who you're talking to in their story. And I feel like everybody in this city has some sort of cool story or some sort of reason that they're here. And I believe in surrounding yourself with the people that are going to lift you up and inspire you. And while yes, I do have people like that in Colorado, I think there's not as much of that drive or that determination to like make something of yourself or do something really important. And I, I feel bad saying that, <laughs> but I think it's true. Going back to the fact like being an entrepreneur, it's like you're kind of deranged to be an entrepreneur, but like you're even more deranged to be an entrepreneur in New York City. There's something <laughs> mentally unwell <laughs> with you oh. if you're choosing to do that. You know that, that. Five years? There's something yeah. wrong with you. Uh, yeah. no, you're right, this is also a coaching session. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but that brings us to your newest risk and leap and venture that you're starting <laughs> in the alcohol or the no alcohol domain. So what's bad about alcohol? I guess what got you into, yeah, let's talk a little about alcohol. Okay, so uh, just for the listeners to give them a little bit of context, I'm creating an alcohol-free social membership community. And the reason I'm starting that is because I quit drinking 14 months ago and it's the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. And I didn't know that life could be so good without alcohol up until that point. And I think more so than anything is, I mean, there's so many things that what are- What are the reasons? Because people ask me this too, like what are the reasons, why did you, what's so great about it? Is? Yeah, I have clarity. like. I, I used to wake up and like kind of feel groggy, have some brain fog, lack of energy, but I just wrote it off as normal. And I think that so many adults do. I think that so many people are just like, yeah, that's just growing up. Like you just kind of feel shitty when you get out of bed in the morning and like you have aches and pains and like you don't have as much energy and they just normalize all of these things. And I think so much of it is actually due to diet and lifestyle. And when one of the most influential pieces of our lifestyles is alcohol, then of course everybody's gonna normalize feeling like shit on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, I really had to get over the hump of being a 20-something year old living in New York City not drinking because from the moment I started drinking in like my teenage years to the age of 26, I, had almost like this identity around being a party girl and like 
being the one who was the life of the party and wanted to keep going and all the different things. So once I got over that initial hump of who the hell am I without alcohol, it really freed up the space for me to find joy in my life that was already there in what's already joyful experiences that I feel like we're told we need alcohol to make more enjoyable. Birthday parties and like baby showers and all of these inherently joyful experiences were handed alcohol to be like, here, make it more fun. Or like here, enhance it in some sort of way instead of being like, oh, but this is already inherently joyful. This is already something that is going to make me feel good. All Um, of them are joyful. Yeah, like baby showers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but true. And yeah, I don't know. I just, if I'm honest, I didn't necessarily want to stop drinking, but I was- What made you do it? I was working on my gut health. And I had, so I had really intense acne and really intense brain fog and exhaustion. And again, at the age of 25, when I first started to recognize that, I was like, this isn't normal. Like I shouldn't feel this bad as a 25 year old. And I started to learn about gut health and chronic inflammation inside of the body and just started to take like better care of myself overall. Because when I first started my business, I didn't care. It was like, whatever's easy, whatever's fast, like whatever I can put in my body to at least just manage like my hunger levels, I will eat that and then continue on with building out my business. But once it got to the place where it was like, okay, I have enough time and space to actually pay attention to myself again all of these health issues started to pop up. And so I started to work on gut health. And one of the biggest things in gut health is you can do all of the things with your diet, but if you're drinking in addition to that, it's probably just not probably, it's just gonna kind of fuck up all of your results that you're getting. Wow. So then how did you decide or what made you turn this into a more than just something you do, but like a business, a project, Mm -hmm. a venture. So one of the things that I recognized is missing over the past 14 years or 14 years, 14 months since I started like my alcohol-free journey is the fact that there's a few opportunities for people to go out and socialize, especially here in New York City without alcohol being the center point of it but majority of the ways to go meet new people or go on dates or whatever it is, is all like booze centered. And being able to, I've like very intentionally sought out community that is not based around that, but it took a lot of fucking effort. Whereas like, I think that if it, if there was somebody who didn't have that level of like determination to go and find that community and do those things, they would get dragged back into having to go out and do the things that they don't necessarily want to do, but they feel as though they have to do in order to connect with other people. So it's really just like being able to be that hub for all things non-alcoholic so that if somebody wants to take the day, the week, the month, the year, or a lifetime off of drinking, they don't have to search so hard to find those things and find those people that they're going to connect with. It's really easy for them to go to this one centralized place and then see what fits best for them. So what is it events? Is it a space? Is it 
What is it? It's events. It's it's going to be a combination of an online platform where people have the opportunity to kind of like social media, create their own profiles, connect with other people that they meet at the events, be able to message them, see where all of the events are happening in the city, and then also hosting events ourselves. And then there'll be a line of merchandise as well. Flavio's getting a hoodie this week. I meant to bring it to him today, but I completely forgot. Yeah, I brought cookies (laughs) instead. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, merchandise and uh, am I missing anything? No, but just, yeah, it's online and in person, being able to give people like the resources. Oh, that's the other part that I was missing is there's gonna be a library of resources for here's how to navigate nightlife without booze. Here's how to navigate dating without booze. Here's how to navigate whatever without booze. For those people who, like me at the beginning, were like, how the fuck do I do this? So what kinds of events will you have without booze? So there's going to be a book club. There's going to be game nights, movie nights. I have an idea. And I mean, by the time this podcast is launched it will be still in the future sorry i was gonna say this might come out tomorrow (laughs) i was like i'm like when is this coming i want to do a yacht party i want to do a no booze cruise and charter a yacht and then have like non-alcoholic like cocktail hour on the hudson yeah i think it'd be so fun like it's gonna be really cool events that like you see on TikTok or you see wherever for all of these people in new york who are doing like these incredible things but it's again booze focused and everybody's getting drunk doing them and it's wait us people who don't get drunk want to have that same kind of fun and not have to surround ourselves with everybody who's drunk Mm -hmm. i was gonna say something else but (laughs) (laughs) it's a good idea but Uh, yeah events like that so the economics of some my understanding is that the economics of these events are very booze oriented as well Mm -hmm. not just that you know the people there are drinking but it's that the drinking is what allows the booze cruise to cost $80 instead of costing $245. Like how is it a membership? Does it subsidize things like the events? Or how do the economics work if booze, especially in New York City, subsidizes so much of the nightlife here? Totally. So it is a membership. It's 25 bucks a month as of right now because the thought process behind that is okay. If somebody's taking a night off of drinking, they're at least spending 25 bucks out on that night. And instead they can replace it with this resource library that they're able to tap into. And in terms of then the economics with it, a lot of these events are luckily low cost. So then when it's a booze cruise, chartering a yacht, that kind of thing, it weighs out in that kind of way or it's the thing where they have a discounted price to that if they're already a member of the community cool so (laughs) i'm wondering yeah what how do you deal with the haters or the negative thoughts of oh this isn't gonna work out this is just a fad everybody drinks i'm sure you get some of those comments (laughs) or maybe some of those thoughts in your head how do you like get through it I think that, at least for me, I've just seen how much of a need there is for this in the people that I know's lives. And luckily, the majority of people that I talk to are very supportive versus have negative comments on this. I know I shared that I've had a few people that have negative comments on this. 
And I think the thing is, like, especially with something in, like, the world of being alcohol-free or questioning alcohol at all, is confronting a social norm. And anything that's confronting a social norm is going to create some sort of adverse response in some people. And I think that's good. I think it's really good to be polarizing because people don't want to pay attention to something mm. that isn't polarizing. If there was a politician that everybody agreed with, we'd all be like, oh, that, that fucker's so boring. Like, why would we ever pay attention to him? What What is he doing? Versus, I hate to use him as an example, but like Donald Trump is really polarizing and people can't get his name out of their mouths. So it's like being able to be polarizing in a way that's not detrimental or not actually like, harming or hurting anybody in any sort of way and being open to that and like responding in a way that like is encouraging and inclusive versus like defensive i think that that's one of the biggest things is like anybody who is responding in some sort of adverse way they're having some sort of reactive reason inside of them and instead of reacting back to that person it's responding to them in a really okay i'm willing to listen i'm willing to hear i'm not going to just flip you off and tell you to walk away yeah no flipping off what other booze free communities are there so what there's a really cool company called absence of proof which is run by one of my good friends elizabeth she has so it's a non-alcoholic event curation company and she hosts mm. non-alcoholic cocktail parties in the city and she started it in august of 2021 or 2022 last year and she's blown up she was like on bravo last week with annie cohen she's been in the new york times she's been in forbes she's been like in so many cool publications since then and i'd say that she's like the leading figure in the non-alcoholic space in new york right now and then in addition to that there's a few smaller companies that have been starting over the past few months that are very much so non-alcoholic drink focused versus just like events that are independent of having to drink whatever the substance is whether it be alcoholic or not but yeah she's i'd say like the main leader in the space right now and then there's really cool like non-alcoholic spirit companies that are coming out like curious elixirs liars ritual like a bunch of just like non-alcoholic spirits i had some when you made those delicious cocktails and they're uh, oh yeah unbelievably good <laughs> surprisingly good yeah so where's the vision? I remember lying awake thinking of my business, like going to sleep, like dreaming of what it would be like if all the stars align and millions of people would be touched. How do you see that for the Hangover Free Society? Do you see it yeah, in a bunch of cities and countries? What's your vision look like? My vision for it is that it definitely, I think it's going to be a national thing i think it's definitely going to be like spread throughout the u.s it would be incredible if it was a global thing but first we're gonna conquer new york city <laughs> uh but yeah no i see this this vision that i've had for this i feel like it's the most like clear vision i've ever had surround surrounding something and like creating something and i see it as something that like right now i think when people think of eliminating alcohol from their lives they think of AA or they think of some sort of program like that people have like negative connotations surrounding and I think and I see this as 
the new thing that people are going to look at. And instead of thinking like, oh, like the only reason I should quit drinking is because I'm an alcoholic and I need to go to AA or something like that is no, I'm choosing to quit drinking because there's fun opportunities like the hangover free society. There's just this incredible group that is helping people live a better and more fulfilling life and do it without feeling as though they have to alter their state in order to get to that place. So that's not a very like clear answer to what your question was, but I definitely see it as a national thing. I think it's conquer New York City first and then take it to other major cities. I think that New York and LA are always where things kind of start in terms of whether it be a fad or not. And those are the two places in the country right now that I'm starting to see more and more non-alcoholic things come together. And I think that the rest of the country is a bit more slow moving when it comes to accepting those things. Who knows? I think it'll take a bit of time getting to other places, but I think that it definitely will happen at some point. Very cool. Taylor, any other questions? No, I love it. I love I love the vision. You know, my, my brother's sober. I, I Yeah, I, I think it's great. We don't have to peer pressure Taylor into sobriety. Be unlikely. It's wait, peer, people peer pressure people into drinking, and now you're trying to... I know. It's actually kind of fun. I feel like a lot of people in, like, our circle, they don't drink. And so I feel like it's more so us who are, like, non-drinkers being, like, it's not even like peer pressuring them, but being like, yeah, okay, you do your thing, but we're not going to. And people kind of being like, uh, like this is weird. Like you just said, it's like usually peer, people are peer pressuring you into drinking versus not drinking. But change is coming. Change is coming. Yeah. You know, I will say one part of the change I don't like is that mocktails are basically the same price as cocktails. And that should not be. Like the mocktails should be like $8 and cocktails should be $16, $17. Well, the fake liquors, it's actually more work to create than the real liquors because they have to make the real liquor and then take the liquor out. Out. Totally. It depends on what's in the mocktail because it's like some mocktails totally like they are just like, okay, let's throw some like San Pellegrino and some fresh lemon and like a little bit of rose water or like whatever into it. But Flava, you just said it's kind of like some of those non-alcoholic spirits they're putting in either making the process of whatever the alcohol is and then removing the spirit from it or they're going through and creating the same flavor palette with different ingredients to get a similar taste and not like effect but like sensation as you're consuming it so I love this talk because one in my last business. I don't think he loves this. No, talk. in my last business, my second largest client was one of the largest spirits companies in the world. Okay. And so we used to bunch of the brands were my Subtle clients. Flex. So we would go. No, but but we would go and go to Woodford Reserve. You know, like you you go to these facilities, and when you dive like three layers deep into the costs of alcohol, mm-hmm. most of the cost is actually taxes, which are alcohol taxes. And in this case, there would be no alcohol. These are alcohol-free drinks. So I'm curious, and like this would be my question to somebody who makes spirit-free you know, drinks. I thought, okay, are you still paying the alcohol tax? Because if so, maybe it's a lobbying issue to not pay alcohol tax on non-alcohol. And if not, then I don't believe the economics of what you're saying. <laughs> because most of what they're actually paying, because the, you know, the raw ingredients are 
basically free. Like the, mm -hmm. the raw ingredients of corn and, you know, and they're made in very, you know, they own all this property. Like they're made in very cheap places, like Kentucky. Like they're made in the middle of nowhere. And so the costs, the input costs in alcohol are extremely low. I mean, that's why, you know, it's so popular all over the world. And most of the costs we bear as consumers is taxes. You know, you pay state taxes, you pay local taxes, they pay federal alcohol taxes. And, you know, they should obviously not pay that for these spirit-free brands. And when that's true, therefore, the drink should be cheaper. <laughs> like, well, would you be more likely to have a mocktail if it was five times cheaper? So if, if the cocktail was $17 and the mocktail was $3, five yeah. times cheaper? Would you then not have the... Sure, yeah. Would you have less the, than a Coke. You would really yeah. have the <laughs> mocktail and not have the alcohol. I went, out to, I went out to dinner with a friend of ours who was not drinking, and I had a mocktail with him. And then the mocktail was $12. And that's why, I like, if it would have been 14 and 17, I would have said no. But it was 12 and 17. I was like, fine, I'll have it. So then I drank it. It was good. But then the next one, I got a cocktail. But if it was, <laughs> if, but, you know, when it came back around. But, when, but I think the part of this is an economic conversation. Like, I, I think a lot of these things, I think of life, and I realize I'm different, but I think of life in terms of, like, investments of time and investments of capital. And I, I say this to my fiance all the time. I'm like, she'll ask me, what do I think of something? And I'm like, I'm 20 minutes interested. I say this to you. You know, I'm like, I'm an hour interested in that. And it's the same way with like food and beverage and with, you know, experiences. It's, hey, do you want to go paragliding? Sure. I'm like, $100 interested, right? Yeah. And that's the way I feel about things like mocktails is that I think that part of this is an economics conversation. And I think that people are fleecing, uh, you know, by charging such high fees for mocktails. Okay. Can that's I my belief. Can I challenge you? Please. Okay. So... Everything that you just said about the financial investment in it, yeah, okay. Let's say the mocktail isn't as cheap as you want it to be or like less expensive as you want it to be. But you then consuming that alcohol and what it's doing to your health that you may not be aware of and then the energy and everything That's a different else. conversation. But it's like, it, it does weigh into it. And I think that a lot of people, they like to, they go into, it's just a few bucks more to have the drink. So like, why would I just not have the drink when in reality it's, I think that it's sometimes like the cover, the scapegoat to like, what is actually under the surface for it, which is they just don't want to be challenged in the way of not having the drink. You know, like I feel like a lot of people want to hate on like the price of the mocktail and be like, the the mocktail is that much. Might as well just get the drink. And it's that's not the concept of it. It's like it's not getting the mocktail because it's cheaper. It's getting the mocktail because you're changing something completely different in your life. That's fair. I still think that the mocktail should be significantly cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I don't disagree with you, but I think that mocktail should be significantly cheaper. And until the prices come down, I, th I think like widespread adoption would be more difficult. That's my point. Fair we can agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh, also, if anybody who's in the non-alcoholic spirit-making world wants to reach out to Taylor and let him know why the cost of these please. spirits we are, will have you on the pod. Are. Please yeah. come on. Why you're paying taxes for alcohol when you're actually not making you're not alcohol. making alcohol. Reach out at whatever we will your guys' email come on. is on and uh, come have a conversation. All right. Because I can't answer that. And check out the Hangover Free Society. Kat, so lovely to have you on. Until next time. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, guys. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio. Seize the day on it.
Until next time, hold it down, hold it down. Yeah.